Well, I was really touched by worship uh, tonight, and I hope you were as well. It's pretty sweet to have students and leaders um, leading us in worship. So, Anyways, I hope your heart is ready for God's Word today for you. So how many of you have been to the eye doctor and had an eye exam before? How many? Raise your hands high. So quite a few. All right. So what is the worst part, in your opinion, of getting an eye exam? Ooh, okay. Uh, trying to read all the letters. Reading all the letters? All right. The puff of air. That's, that. that's it right there. Yeah. Dilating, yeah. Yeah, right? Isn't it kind of embarrassing a little bit to learn that your eyes aren't as good as you thought they were? Could be. Most people, though, are going to discover their eyes aren't as good as they thought they were, right? Or if you're like me and you're older and you go to the eye doctor, you know they're incorrect, right? So you have you get corrective lenses, I wear contacts. And then you go and you find out a little later, oh, they're a little worse than they were before. You know, you're just like, ah. Ever have that happen? So sometimes, yeah, right. You can have reading. I was warned that he go, hey, you know, you should probably consider laser surgery so you don't get these bifocals. And I'm like, oh, great, perfect, yeah. So, anyways, my opinion, the air puff is the worst part, and it used to be dilation. I know they still do it sometimes, um, but they don't do it all the time anymore because the newer technology. When I was your age, kind of dates me a little bit, but you had to get dilation every time. There wasn't those air puffs, there wasn't retinal scanners, those kinds of things, so the technology has made it a little more convenient. But I remember going to, I worked at Taco Bell in high school, and after one of my really bad ones, I had these, you know, my both eyes were really dilated. I had to try to drive to, to work, and I had, and I'm trying to look at the screen that they had there, you know, the, the stuff on, and so I, I'm like, I got, this is not working. So I went and got my sunglasses, you know, and put them on top of the other really nerdy ones. I got like two pairs of sunglasses trying to, <laughs> do my stuff. I'm like, everyone's going to think I'm like drugged and helping them with their food. So anyways, that was a humbling moment. I had, I had quite a few looks from uh, people that I helped. So anyways, an eye exam though, it tells you, honestly, if you have a good eye doctor and they do a good job, they're going to honestly tell you how your vision is. Right? One of our uh, students, and I won't name who they are, they're, they're not here tonight, but told me the other day that they went to the eye doctor and discovered they could only see correctly five feet away. And I'm like, wow, like how, how does it take that long for you, to, for you to figure that out? And so she's like, yeah, I'm sitting in my class and I can actually see the board at school. You know, and I'm like, well, that's good. You know, <laughs> new discovery, right? So in our, our parable today, Jesus challenges us to have somebody else that you trust inspect your vision. So our topic today is examine your vision. Examine your vision. Right? And it's important because if, if you think about it, when we look out, we're so used to how we view the world, we're so used to how we see life, we don't know if we're out of line unless somebody else tells us. Right? You get used to it. It becomes normal. Do you ever hear the, the, uh, the phrase that's such a popular sort of theology or philosophy in our world that it's all relative, right? Or it's what's, what's wrong for you is wrong to me. It's like, no, that's, that's not correct. There still is a, 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 a measurable 
chart for you when you go to the eye doctor, right? You can't say, my vision's perfect for me, so don't bug me about it when I can only see five feet away, right? No one's going to hand you a driver's license, correct? Right? You're not going to make it out of the parking lot. In fact, one time I was laughing. It was this happened about a year ago. I uh, was driving to work, and I'm like, man, it is so foggy. I got my defosters, defoster, frosters, can't talk, defrosters on my cart, like cranked up as high as they could possibly go. And I'm like, man, I have never driven in Billings with such a foggy day. And then I realized I forgot my contacts that morning. <laughs> right? So it's a reality check for you. Right? Is a reality check. And again, you can't say what works for me doesn't work for you. There still has to be a standard out there somewhere. I agreed upon standard, which is why every eye doctor has a term of measurement. I had my blood work done recently. Every blood test you have, there is a normal, healthy range for every last thing in your body. Everything in science tells you there is a standard for health. Right, cholesterol, you name it, whatever it is about your body, heart rate, everything has a standard. And the same thing with our decisions in life, and the Bible really lays out a standard for us. So again, examine your vision, and often we don't know what is out of line unless somebody else tells us. And you need someone who you trust to be able to tell you. And then when they tell you, the question becomes, will you receive the correction? Right? Because every single person needs correction in some way in their life. But just because the eye doctor tells you, hey, you need corrective lenses, doesn't mean you're going to buy them. You might be, nah, I'll just keep, I'll just keep living this way. Right? Or somebody corrects you in some other area in life, tells you your attitude's out of line. And you're like, ah, I don't want to hear that. Right? I want to keep it the way it is. So have you received any correction lately? And maybe a, uh, a better way of saying that, have you welcomed any correction lately? Because we all need correction. How do you respond to correction, especially if it's done with good intent? And I want to help you. If you are in a place where you are struggling to receive correction, to respond well to it, to change your mindset about it, Right? You think about the disciples. When Jesus spent time with the disciples, every day he's probably correcting them on something. Right? Every day. That doesn't mean that they're, quote, in trouble or they're bad disciples. It just means they need some extra help. They need help in some way. And Jesus, because he loves them and he cares about them, he's going to constantly correct. Right? Because he wants them to get to a better place in life. He wants them to have a better attitude in life. He wants them to be more responsible, to be able to achieve more things, to have more depth in their person, in their character, in their words of their mouth. And so he's going to correct. You know, correction is super healthy. And it makes everything better. You think about it, correction makes an athlete stronger and more competitive. You can't be in athletics and not receive correction from your coach. If you do, you'll never get better. You'll never improve. You'll never go to the next level. doesn't matter what the sport is. Right? Correction in business makes a business healthier and more profitable. A business can't grow without correcting itself, without having people improve things. Correction makes a family more united and safer. 
You cannot have a healthy family without correction taking place in your family. And correction makes you more like Jesus, more released from sin, and more empowered to make a difference in the world. Hey, fellas, if you need to move apart, Gavin, from your buddy, please take, feel free to do so. So correction is good, right? Everyone say it with me. Correction is good. There you go. Keep saying it to yourself until you believe it. Correction is good. It is good for you. It's good. All right. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 23 says, Correction and instruction are the way to life. All right, we're going to be in Luke, like I said, chapter 6. We're in verse 37, if you want to turn there. And it says, It says, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. All right, so Jesus kind of gives us this warning. And remember from the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, it says, Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Kind of similar theme, right? He's saying if you judge, if you condemn, if you forgive, if you get, and if you give, that same sort of measure you give out is going to be given back to you. Right? So it's kind of this, this rule, if you would, that the laws and the expectations and the rules that you put on others, they are going to reflect back on you as well. Right, you ever heard somebody called a hypocrite? Right? It's when they come up to you and they say, Eden, like, right, I expect you to be here on time at 7 o'clock. Right? And then I show up at 7.05. Right? And she's like, what? You know, why'd you get after me for getting, being a minute late and now you're five minutes late? Right? So the rules, the expectations you put on somebody they are going to be reflected back to you. Now think about it. If we are going down the highway, we'll take this to kind of extremes, and we make a new law, and we say the rule is you can only go maximum of 25 miles an hour down the interstate. Now if you're really unfamiliar with the interstate, most people are going to go you know, 75, 80, 85. Right? So we say you can only go 25. That's the new law. And you don't like that, and so suddenly now everybody gets together and says, nope, we're not going to have any rules on the highway. You can go either direction. You can go as fast as you want to. Right? That can be our culture. Right? You can go from one extreme that's unhealthy, that's impractical, to another extreme that's super dangerous. Right? And so again, it kind of comes back to the, there does have to be a standard to follow. So we have, to, so we have this kind of warning, be careful of extremes, right? In Foursquare, uh, there's this core belief we have called moderation, which is interesting because most churches, this is not a, a big deal to most churches, at least as far as putting it in their bylaws. And our bylaws, which would be like your your standard operating procedure, right? This is a huge, big rule, like a Ten Commandment rule, is to have moderation. Anybody know what moderation means? Not overdoing it and um, knowing when to limit yourself or when to set 
Okay, good. What else? How would you describe moderation? Yeah, Abilo? Okay, good. Yeah, so you're kind of putting your own boundaries and limits on excess. All right, good. Yeah, that's good. Anybody else before I give you sort of the official definition? So moderation means in simple form to avoid extremes, especially in one's behavior. To avoid extremes. In other words, if you are, uh, you know, on a gauge one through a hundred, if you get into ninety plus or ten or less, on the extreme end of things, you're in unhealthy territory. And so, moderation is to balance yourself out. Does that make sense? Not go to extremes, right? And did you ever? Uh, and again, just a kind of a reminder, when you judge somebody, again, he's talking about measurement, when you measure someone and you say, oh, I don't like that, right? I feel wrong. Did you ever hear that yourself say that? You measured someone, right? I feel wronged. I'm offended. I'm hurt. Those are your, a reaction to a measurement you have on expectations for somebody to give to you. That's triggering you, Right? And so again, remember, when you measure someone, when you judge someone in that regard, they are going to instinctively mirror it back to you. Did you ever have someone have the attitude or a day where you're like, man, everyone is so critical today? So a little advice, if you feel that way, start looking in the mirror. Ever say something like, man, everyone is holding a grudge. No one is forgiving me. Start by checking your own heart. Ever say, everyone else has a really nasty attitude. And if these are sticking out to you, you better be writing them down, friends. Ever say something like, man, everyone has a really nasty attitude. Ever record yourself when you're really upset? Right? Now, I can uh, scare myself uh, if I verbally hear myself when I'm frustrated. I had a dad that was uh, very, very aggressive in his anger. And I have to constantly check myself, because I grew up in that, and had that model for me for so many years, to constantly check the root of my frustration. Right? I scare myself. Ever scare yourself? Right? I scare myself with my frustration. And I have to ask the question, when, especially when I know I overreact, because we are all human, we overreact sometimes, Right? Now, it's not necessarily excusing what I, you know, like say when my kids mess up, I'm going to react to it or, you know, respond to it is a better, maybe better word. But if I overreact, it's not my kid's fault. It's mine. And so I have to ask the question, where is that coming from? Right? And so Jesus kind of gives us this healthy warning, warning that the next time a problem comes up, especially, again, if it's repetitive, or you know it's an overreaction, look in the mirror and ask yourself the hard question, am I the constant theme of this problem? Right? If I have an attitude problem or everybody else around me has an attitude problem, am I the constant theme? 
right? If everyone seems to be unforgiving or everyone seems to be critical, am I the constant theme? It's a hard question, but it's important because you can't move on beyond that unless you're honest enough to have that eye exam, if you would, and examine your own heart. Yes? Again, it kind of depends, and I don't know without getting specifics, but if it's happening all the time with lots and lots of people, not everyone is going to react that same way. So if everyone's reacting the same way, you have to look at yourself. And the question isn't saying that it's your fault, but there is a common theme, highly likely that it, you know you have to examine yourself. All right, we're going back in uh, sorry, Luke chapter 6, verse 39 now. It says, he also told them this parable. Again, this story with a lesson. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out that speck that is in your eye. When you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take out the log that is in your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. All right, again, the blind leading the blind. It's a careful warning to be careful who you're following. Because if you're following somebody, or another way to say, if they're influencing you, they are influencing you in some direction. So be careful of the direction you're allowing people to influence you. Because you will become more like whoever is influencing you. And think about some examples. If you have a sports coach, right, you will become more gifted in the ways that they are gifted. Not every coach is the same. Right? Every coach is going to have different strengths. That's why like, when a college athlete is really good, and people are trying to recruit him, he's going to examine multiple coaches and pick the one that he wants to become most like or his program is going to become most like because everyone has different strengths. right? You will pick up on things they are gifted in and also you will pick up on their attitude toward the game you're playing. right? If you have a pastor like myself, you can only learn from them in the ways that they have already learned. You're not going to get ahead of me. You can only learn what I've already learned. You can only grow, and you'll probably grow in the areas that I'm strongest. Right? And every pastor is going to be different. Everyone's going to have different strengths. Your parents. You can only learn to create a healthy home culture to the extent that they themselves are healthy. You can't ask your parents to create a healthy culture if they're not healthy. It's not going to work. Right? And you can only set up healthy personal boundaries to the extent that someone is modeling them for you, most likely. So if you feel like, I don't have people in my life that know how to find, define and live out healthy boundaries, then you need to get really aggressive about looking for some people that have healthy boundaries and know how to create a healthy culture. And you'll learn from them. 
Like again, going back to my example, I had a dad that was very, very angry, very unsafe. I was talking to a student about this earlier, that every time he's home, everyone hides in their room. This particular student's going through the exact same thing right now. So what I did was I went and I found godly men in the church who when their kids messed up or somebody did something, they didn't overreact. And I could find safe examples. Does that make sense? So I could learn from them. And when I'm hanging out with them and we do something dumb, because sometimes boys do dumb things when they're together, right, in high school. <laughs> Amen, Pam, right? <laughs> so when that would happen, I would see how they reacted. And you know what? I discovered most men didn't react like my dad. They could correct us without blowing up. Right? And I thought, huh, this is somebody I can learn from. And I started watching them really closely. So again, you can find models to learn. Uh, you guys are familiar with the Thunderbirds? If you're not familiar with them, they're, yeah, they're F-16s that fly really close together and they train like crazy. So unfortunately, with the F-16s, they often fly in a four, uh, four jet pattern. So there's one in front, two on each side, and one right behind them. And they're literally, at least from the air, look extremely close. Um, and I'm, and they're still very close, even if you're, you know, even if they they drop down, especially for the speed they're going. Okay, like ridiculously close. So the thing about, unfortunately, there's been several deadly crashes. And what happens is, when they crash, all four of them usually, or certainly the first three, perish. And the reason is they are following the leader. They're somewhat close in space. Only the leader is really flying that makes sense like normally flying he's flying and looking ahead everyone else all they're doing is watching as close as they can the person right next to him and mirroring every move they make yeah so again like if i am uh in my example following eden right and she's flying i'm going to be as close to her as i can i'm going to mirror everything she does and if she crashes so am i It's an example, again, of following someone. You know, alcoholics in, in homes, this was an interesting, kind of a sad statistic in our country. So about 72, apparently, percent of Americans drink alcohol, okay? Most Americans, about three out of four. But 43% of Americans struggle with alcoholism. So if you do the math, that means roughly, and I you know, didn't crunch the exact numbers, but 70% of people who drink alcohol struggle with alcohol. Most of them. And if you go back to the stats, 43% of, of Americans struggle with alcohol. Also, 43% of Americans have alcoholism modeled for them in their family. The exact same stat. Now, it doesn't mean everybody in the household does if you have somebody in your family that struggles with it, but it means you're very highly more likely to because it's being modeled for you, right? You guys, a lot of you are familiar with Pastor Danny from New Life. <clears throat> you know, I had an interesting conversation with him, and we have you know, a difference of opinion on alcohol, but he's very against it, and part of it is because it was modeled for him in his family in a really, really bad way. Right? So he's like, I don't want to have anything to do with it, which makes total sense. So again, we have to be careful of what is being modeled for you in your home. right? Because again, you can tank others if you're following and being led in the wrong direction. 
Right? There's a lot of things that can tank you in life. I mean, we've talked about some of these before. Alcohol is one. Drugs is another. Anger. That's what I had in my family. Laziness. Pornography. There's lots of different things. Did you know that there are many Americans right now, especially in the generation just ahead of you, that marriages are falling apart because of video games? One of the number one reasons right now. Because guys are addicted to video games and they're neglecting their marriage. It's not funny. Yeah. It's not funny. Addicted to a game and you're going to lose the life around you. Men, you got to man up. So we got to be careful again where we're being led, right? And again, at first, it's important to have somebody healthy. And think about this, just kind of another illustration. I was thinking of rock climbing. I got a brother-in-law that's really into rock climbing. If you're a rock climber, right, and you got all the protective gear on, and you know what you're doing, and I don't have all the gear. I think Hunter actually has rock climbing gear. If you, you know, have ropes attached to you and they are secured into the rocks. It doesn't matter if a gorilla attacks you, you're not falling. Okay? You're not going down. Now, if you are not secure, and you're trying to rock climb, and you're standing on shale, and you're already slipping, you can't help anyone. Right? You're trying not to go over the edge yourself. So you have to get in a healthy position in order to be to help somebody else. You know, we have so many people in our culture who want to help somebody, but they're not yet focusing on themselves to get healthy themselves. That doesn't work very well. That's Jesus' example. It's the blind leading the blind. You're both going to fall in the pit. Does that make sense? So if you love your friends and want to help your friends, make sure you're taking care of yourself. And you are getting healthy. Can you hear me? Right, and Seth's story that you shared a couple weeks ago, you're in a whole different place than you were a year ago. Way better position to help somebody. You can't help somebody if you're not in a healthy position. All right, we're going to continue. Luke chapter 6, verse 43. Jesus continues, it says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes and are not grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. So I don't know if you're familiar, but this is a scripture I reference all the time without quoting it to you. But again, it's talking about how a good, a bad tree is going to produce bad fruit. Right, I had this cherry tree in my backyard uh, that was rotten, and the whole thing died. Right, It was not able to produce fruit. It had a virus in it, I guess, technically. Bacteria infection or something. And, uh, but a good tree produces good fruit. Right, And we talk about you know, when something comes out of your mouth, it's coming from somewhere. Right, And if you're embarrassed of what comes out of your mouth, what you say, the fruit of your life, it's coming from somewhere. So examine where the fruit is coming from. Right? Out of what is stored up in your life will come pouring out your actions, your motives, your words. Right? 
Did you ever have somebody tell you that I'm right? And you're like, no, no, you're wrong. Right? That happens a lot. You know how you actually know is based on the fruit. Right? You can't say, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right to all these people, and you have bad result, bad result, hurt feeling, misunderstanding. The problem, if you have bad fruit, it says that, no, you're not in a healthy position. Right? Again, so you get to examine something by the fruit that comes out. Right, so again, Jesus is warning us to be careful because he's saying, if you judge somebody, and we're all going to measure because there has to be some kind of standard, but when you judge someone, right, when you cast blame, when you feel offended, remember that's going to be mirrored back to you. But also keep in mind if something, you have permission, I guess, if you would, to, to recognize the fruit of something too, right? If you have a friend that makes a bad decision and a bad decision and a bad decision, and there's bad fruit, and my parents get upset, and my friends get upset, and I keep defending this friend over and over and over again, but there keeps being problem after problem after problem after problem. You have somebody that's influencing you in the wrong direction. And you have to recognize that. Correct? And if you're the one that's the problem, and the problem, and the problem, and the problem, you need to address it. Because you're going to lose your healthy friends. Did you know that we are, in kind of another law of the mirror, is we are attracted to people like us. And I don't mean sexually, I mean personality-wise, behavior-wise, standard-wise. So healthy people are naturally attracted to healthier people. Unhealthy people want to be justified in their unhealth, so they're naturally attracted to people that are unhealthy like them. Right? That's why you have unhealthy people get brought into, especially like inner cities, that you know, so common of like gangs and that kind of thing. They want to be justified where they're at. So be careful. And Jesus kind of gives this example, right? Again, when you're healthy, we talked about correction. The point is to be pruned, right? You want to be a healthy tree. Right? You want to have healthy fruit come out of your life, healthy words, healthy motives. You want to have healthy friendships, correct? Yeah, right? You don't want to talk to your friend and then worry about them trashing you. You want to know you can trust them. So if you want to have healthy friends, you need to be a healthy person as well. And when you get caught in something unhealthy, you want to prune it out of your life right away. Right? Like an eye exam. I'm going to read Hebrews chapter 12 real quick, and then we're going to jump into our small groups here soon. Hebrews 12, verse 10. And it says, For, the, for they discipled, disciplined, sorry, for they disciplined us for a short time as it seems best to them. But he, being Christ, disciplines us for our good. He's talking about it. Yeah, I'll just continue. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. I mean, doesn't correction seem painful? Doesn't it burst your pride? Right? Doesn't feel good. But it's painful rather than pleasant. But later, and here's what I want you to catch. 
but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. In other words, he's saying, listen, this is going to be uncomfortable right now, but because I care about you, right, I am going to correct you. And later, if you welcome the correction, you are going to achieve what you want. You're going to have good fruit in your life. You're going to have good friends in your life. You're going to have a good family. Right? Proverbs 6.23 again says, Correction and instruction are the way of life. Can you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I, uh, I pray that each student here takes this to heart. Lord, we will only have as good of lives as we are willing to be corrected. There is no way around it. There is no equation where we suddenly mature without your help and your correction and without other people in life pointing things out. And so, Lord, I pray with these students, Lord, they would learn to live with an open hand to people that are healthy and to those that are ahead of them in life in a healthy way. That they would receive counsel, that they would receive correction, that they would receive mentorship, Lord, that they would receive guidance, and that they would actually hungrily look for it. Lord, I pray you would impress upon that, that to them. For if they don't, and they do the opposite, and run the other way, Lord, they will always be immature. The only way towards health and maturity, Jesus, is through the road of correction, Lord, through the cross. So, Lord, tonight I pray you would uh, just bless our conversations in our small groups. And, Lord, I pray that every student, no matter how young, would uh, just dive into your word and would really make an honest reflection, Lord, on their life um, and would learn and take away a nugget, God, that would help them this week and this month and this year ahead. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.